0: This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. Good day, church. I'm so excited to invite you on a journey with me as we go through the book of Revelation. Now, when I say the book Revelation, I believe that for you as for me, I come to this series, I come to this teaching, I come to this reading with so many thoughts, so many ideas, so many feelings that I have in my heart. Because when we read about Revelation, we think about the end, we think about the end times, and it brings so much emotion with us. And for many people that I speak to when I say we're going to go through the book, they are excited, but they're also afraid, because the book for them seems confusing, seems difficult to understand, and... Um, And seems to bring lots of anxiety for the terrors that we read about in the book now if you come to this session today with anxiety and with confusion and with uh, Unclarity pertaining to this text. I'm going to say that you're reading the right book because the book of Revelation was written to seven churches in the first century by John and the purpose of the letter the purpose of this book was to bring to make clear how Christ is reigning in all of this and to bring peace to those who are afraid that he is in control and to bring us a sense of hope and a sense of accomplishment as we partner with him. So I'd like to read the first four verses of the book and then we'll just spend some time to unpack what this book is about. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show his servants things which must must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, to all things that he saw. Blessed is he who reads these words to his, of this prophecy and to keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. We'll speak about that next week. And then verse 4. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace and peace to you. These four verses... Were written by John and we can see first of all that it is a letter they wrote to seven churches and these seven churches existed in Asia Minor and so much uh, excavation and so many archaeology archaeological findings were, were done in these places. so we can know a lot about these these churches and about the time and their context so much study has gone into it so about the letter John wrote this From the island of Patmos, it says so, and if you ask which John, then probably we're thinking about the wrong John. It is most probably John the Beloved Disciple, written in 90 to 92 after Christ while he was a political prisoner on the island of Patmos. The emperor Domitian, um, during the revival of the imperial cult, the worship of the emperor as God, made a decree to say that everyone who passes one of his statues, that everyone who enters one of his temples or goes to another temple must simply take some incense and throw it in the air, continue with their life, but just decree that Caesar is Lord, that he is indeed the God of the universe, Lord of all lords, that he is the most powerful being in the earth. The man had a great ego. Um, and that was fine for most people in the day, for most religious cults. But for the Christians, it was not fine to declare that, Jesus, that Caesar is Lord, Because they held the primary conviction that Christ is Lord, that he is chief and Lord over all, that he is the ultimate authority. And for that reason, Christians were tortured, imprisoned, or exiled, as in John's case, to the island of of Patmos as a political prisoner. Because his message of the gospel of Jesus Christ was a threat to the power which Caesar held in his day. We'll unpack that a little bit later. So... Apart from the torture of the Roman authorities, Christians in those days, and these seven churches in particular, suffered from persecution of the Jews. Their fellow countrymen, many of them were Jews, but suffered persecution from the Jews. They were, they were tortured, they were killed, their businesses were closed down, they were robbed, they were pushed aside outside of cities. They couldn't participate in normal, normal gatherings, they had no rights within the city, no access to services. So they lived in poverty for most of them and they lived in isolation and with mockery and shame, many of them. So imagine having your kids raised in a situation like that. It's not just that. It's not just a persecution by the Romans and by the Jews. But these churches also suffered, as we can see in chapter 2 and chapter 3. They suffered from earthquakes and natural disasters, which was common, as we can read in these letters. The threat of the earth shaking and building colla- buildings collapsing on you. And then, lastly, they also suffered from diseases and sickness, as we can think, if there are no medical intervention, then a common infection, a common flu, would can wipe out a whole community, and people really sub, uh, feared sickness and disease. And you can see that Jesus addresses this situation as well. The greatest threat, actually, that we read in the book of Revelation, is the threat of the seduction of wealth, of power. worldliness. And these Christians were first of all comforted in their suffering and secondly corrected, challenged pertaining to their, their moving away from the primacy of Jesus in their life to pursue a life of comfort, of wealth and of power with the rest of the community. This is the heart of the letter. Comfort and challenge during hardship. And I think this can mean a lot to us today. So I'd just like us to to look at what we said about this book, just to give a baseline for what we read through. First of all, we see that the book of Revelation is a letter. It is an apostolic letter. It is a message written down by a real apostle. His name was John, written to seven churches. It is a letter, and we can see it in chapter 1, verse 4. We have just read it, the letter to the seven churches. The seven churches are identified in Asia Minor, And it ends as well. So it's not just that the first bit is a letter and the rest is some story. In chapter 22, again, the seven churches are mentioned. Chapter 21, verse 22, we see that the letter is concluded only then. This message was a message of comfort and correction for them. And we should read it firstly as that before we do anything else with it. It's meaningful. We find the meaning of this letter to them. Secondly, we see in verse 3 here that it's referred to as a prophecy. This book is a prophecy. And um, for the Christian readers and the Jewish Christian readers of the first day, we see that it meant a lot, um, what it means to be a prophecy. Prophecy is not future telling primarily. There are some bits in the Bible. But most of the prophecy in the Old Testament and the New Testament has has its definition of God's word to a particular people in a particular place. What is the Lord saying to his covenant people? And it always has to do with covenantal things. The prophets always call the people to repentance, to return to God first. And the book of Revelation is a call to the church to return to the Lord, to not fall away because of persecution and hardship, to not fall away into seduction of this world, but to come and return to the Lord because the Lord is their covenant God and he is King of kings and Lord of lords. And see the judgment that he will bring, see the deliverance that he will bring, see how he will save them from the situation. So it's prophecy. It's amazing if you think about it. About of the 404 verses in Revelation, more than 287 verses are illusions, contain illusions to Old Testament texts. More of the half of the book are illusions, and in particular, Exodus, Isaiah, Daniel, Zechariah, and Ezekiel. It's bulk, it's chunks, and many of the Psalms are just drawn into this letter. So what this prophecy does, it shows how all the prophecies of God in the Old Testament find its culmination in Christ's victory over sin, Satan, and this world. So it brings everything together. It's a beautiful text. It's grounded in the Old Testament. Thirdly, we see that this letter is not only, this book is not only a letter, or a prophecy but it's written in a specific genre and the first word the word revelation apocalypse is the, the definition of that but this letter is an apocalypse it's a apocalyptic literature was very popular in the first century jewish it's a jewish genre a jewish literary style which is um, nearly like a sci-fi movie nearly like a imaginary fictional story but it's it's grounded in old testament literature it's jewish and the genre is always a picture of that shows what is happening beyond what we see with our physical eyes. It, it invites us to ask the question, um, are things really as they seem, or is there something more to this? Is there something more to this? And the, the style answers, yes, there is something more. Just like when Paul writes to the church in Ephesians chapter 6, he writes, he says, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, and rulers of this age. This the story, this revelation is written to reveal, to show us that there is something more to what we're experiencing. Yes, church, you are suffering. The Romans seem to conquer you, the Jews seems to win, the plagues and the earthquakes seem to 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 terrorize you. But there is something greater happening. Christ is in control. It always has to do with showing us. Um, context how do we lo- how do we view our reality in the light of the future end and secondly how do we view our reality in the light of the heavenly realms of what's happening in the spiritual realms and this is what John wants to show because this is a revelation that he actually saw so this literary genre the apocalypse the revelation is rich in symbolism visual images You'll read about dragons, you'll read about the whore, you'll read about wars, you'll read about angels and demons, you'll read about beasts from the Old Testament. And most of those images are drawn from Ezekiel, Daniel, and the Exodus. Plagues, things happening. So it invites you into to see this thing. So it's written specifically to move the heart and not just the head. John could have written simply in saying, and the Lord could have written simply saying, and some Bible books do that, saying, that Christ is winning there's more to this there are angels and demons but it's written to reveal to show to make real what we are experiencing secondly it's rich in numbers you read about the numbers the whole time and when we read in this genre we don't assume that first that the letter that the numbers are actual numbers and actual meanings um, but it's it's meant to reveal a truth for you know, the four beasts speak about the fullness of creation. Four is always the number of creation. Seven, the number of perfection. The fullness of the day is perfection. And the number seven is repeated throughout this book many, many times. 10, 12 always, twelve always speaks about Israel or the tribes of Israel. And then um, a thousand always speaks about many or fullness or all or everything. So we see the numbers, and the numbers bring meaning and richness to the story. It gives the fullness of the text to us. It's a literary style that was used. And then, as I mentioned, it's rooted always in Old Testament literature, and Old Testament truth. And lastly, it is written in their day. Remember that this letter made so much sense to the first century reader, because it was speaking into their context. It wasn't an illusion, it wasn't something strange, but it spoke into their context. It spoke into their day. So we have to understand that it's grounded in the reality of the first century Greco-Roman world during a time of hardship. Lastly, about this genre. It is not chronological. When we read, we shouldn't read and say, what happens next? We should ask the question, what does John see next? And you'll see that John says that the whole time. Then I saw. Then he showed me. Then I saw. So it's not what happens next. It's what does he see next. And the book is written in seven different segments quite clearly that run parallel to one another. We'll look at that next week. Just in closing, I want to just close here. Uh, In the reading of the book, I want us to see four things that, that we read here. When we read about the Holy Spirit and it's what the Holy Spirit revealed to John, There are four key moments that we can see. And this was the core message. This is the outline of the message to the book of Revelation. He asks, he shows him four things. This church going through hardship, in terror, in fear, suffering much, is shown four things. The first thing that he shows us, chapter 1, is that John, in verse 10, John sees the Lord present among his church with his church. The first comfort that John brings that John brings to the church, is says, listen, I saw the Lord walking among you, and these are the things that he sees in you, and these are the things that he calls you to do. That Christ is real. Christ is not far away. Christ has not deserted us. Christ is not waiting somewhere and one day we'll return. That Christ is with his church, and, and, and the reality is that for those suffering to know that I am not alone, the Lord has not deserted me, that he is with me in hardship, even those churches that were sinning and mingling with immorality and with the spiritualism. He's saying that Christ is among you and that he's walking among the lampstands. He's present with you. Chapter 1. In chapter 4, we see the next bit, that all of a sudden, John is invited to come up here and in the Spirit again, in chapter 4, verse 2, 1, 2, and 3, we see that John is... Moved in the spirit and all of a sudden he is in heaven and he looks at God The perfect and beautiful merciful Savior the covenantal God of Israel and he reigns over all that he is uncontrolled chapter 4 The Christ, that God is in control chapter 5 that he gives the scroll the unfolding of his kingdom plan He gives to his son Jesus the Christ and we see and we find comfort in the reality this suffering church finds comfort in the reality that God is in control, that all of these diseases, earthquakes, all these plagues, all these battles, all this conflict on earth is, in a sense, a result of Christ unfolding his redemptive plan of creation to make all things new, to restore all things. Christ is in control. He's not out of control. He has not been defeated. He is the victor. In chapter 17, we see again, chapter 17, verse 1, 2, and 3, we see that all of a sudden John was moved in the spirit into the wilderness and then the spirit showed him Babylon, what he calls the great prostitute, that hollowed the city. And it speaks about this world. That that if for the church suffering, Christ wants to show us what this world is all about. And then it unveils this world as a seduction and a lure to our senses and our greeds, being led astray and prostrating ourselves to the the world is prostrating itself to its desires. It's always like beasts being fed by something else. It is a selfish and a carnal thing. And it shows the brutality of war, the war machine, the beast of Rome. The brutality and the warfare, the, the, the lovelessness of this world. So greed and lovelessness, hatred and violence. And he shows what this kingdom is really all about. And he warns us by saying this kingdom leads always hardship and suffering. The suffering that you're experiencing, you will not find by partnering with this world because this is the essence of this world. The Spirit shows the harlot and the beast and it shows Christ victorious over that. And then lastly, Spirit shows Christ among us, God on His throne, Christ in control, what this world is really about. And then again, chapter 21 verse 1, the Spirit, then the Spirit showed me and it shows me the new Jerusalem and the new heaven and the new earth. What Christ is creating, what Christ is making, how he restores all things. And it shows that again man will reign with him as a kingdom of priests and there will be no no more tears and no more sickness, no more disease because Christ is truly in control and his peaceful reign is coming. It is here, but it is coming, this invitation. And I'm wondering for you today and for me today in this world where Things feel uncertain, where we can feel anxious because of diseases, sickness, because of poverty, economic instability, because of violence. We're facing the same things as the people were facing in the first century, maybe to a different degree. And I wonder what this message brings to you, whether it brings the same sense of hope and the same sense of comfort, and also the same sense of correction, the call to, first of all, desire Christ and to follow him, because he's the one that is with us that is in control, that is unveiling and conquering this world, and that one day will invite us into his kingdom where there will be no more sickness, disease, tears, or death. How do you feel about that? What is it, how does that move your heart? How does it sit with you when we say this is what the study of Revelation will reveal to us? Spend some time, talk to your friends, pray, and we'll meet up again next week. God bless. Thank you for listening.